You tell him I'm coming, and hell's coming with me. Wyatt Earp. Kurt Russell. Tombstone. 1993. Directed by George P. Cosmatos. Asterisk. But we'll get to that asterisk later. I'm going to be honest, if I was walking down the street listening to that theme, I would be thinking I am capable of anything. Just straight up invincible or the baddest cowboy around or out to, you know, just pursue justice in any form. Um, Speaking of justice, welcome to Flicks with Critch. We're going to be talking about Tombstone, the action western that took everyone by surprise and has an incredible ensemble cast in it, and a pretty fun story of how it got made. So we're going to discuss that, break down some of the best scenes in the movie, and play my favorite game, which is... Do you know who's in that film? Which is more or less just a way of pointing out actors who are more known for being that guy in that thing. It's fun. Because there's a lot of them in this movie. I first saw Tombstone in 1995 on VHS. My family had rented it from Blockbuster or somewhere. And we're big Western people, so immediately we fell in love with it. We modeled our basement after a Western theme. (laughs) We also used to go on vacation, um, family vacations when I was younger. When we drove everywhere, we never flew anywhere. So... After seeing this film, we wanted to go check out Tombstone, Arizona, so we all hopped in a car, and when we were driving through Arizona on our way there, I guess we were kind of on the outskirts, the car broke down, and we had to get uh, a part fixed at some mechanic store, and we were talking my dad was talking to the mechanic and he was like so we're headed and it's like oh we're gonna go see the historical sites of tombstone whatever and the guy was like oh well did you ever see the movie and my dad was like yeah and the guy looked at him and was like well i was an extra in tombstone uh during this scene look out for a guy in a red shirt with a big beard and i'm seen there like hollering uh, my extra lines and so i have this kind of weird deep connection with the film And as the years progressed um, through like grade school, high school, and college, I owned the DVD and I was like, have you guys seen this movie? If not, we got to stop everything we're doing and watch it. So I I had a great joy in life introducing this film to many friends of mine, which is something that I love to do. But let's talk about how this film got made. So it's 1993. This writer, Kevin Jar, had written a, what he would describe, sprawling Western epic, kind of in the vein of, uh, he wanted it to be like the godfather of Western, just this huge character-filled drama. 
And at the time, Westerns were kind of making a comeback. You had you know, Dances with Wolves, just one best picture. Unforgiven, just one best picture. So you had this kind of modern Western renaissance. And you had things like The Quick and the Dead with Gene Hackman and Sharon Stone and Young Guns with Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen. Spilly <laughs> the Kid and a bunch of uh, regulators. Anyway, you had this kind of renaissance of Westerns in the 90s in Hollywood. And Kevin Costner and Kevin Jar began to work on Tombstone. But Costner wanted to be really like centered on Wyatt Earp's life and kind of forget about the extraneous characters that Jar had written in his script and they kind of couldn't come to an agreement on what they wanted the the center of the film to be about. So eventually they parted ways, but Costner still really wanted to make a movie about Wyatt Earp. So he went to Warner Brothers, I believe. He went to a different um, studio and was like, let's make our own version while they have their own. So there were two competing uh, Wyatt Earp films out there, Tombstone and then Costner's version simply titled Wyatt Earp. Costner was able to get his financing a little bit quicker, so they got into production quicker. And <laughs> whether or not it was out of spite or you know just plain luck, Costner had managed to scoop up all the authentic Western costumes that Hollywood pretty much had to offer. So when Tombstone got rolling, Jar the director and writer at the time were kind of like, wait, what are we going to do? We can't get anybody in authentic costumes. Our extras were, were screwed here. So they ended up having to hire a bunch of Western recreation actors who already had their own costumes. And that's who they eventually got on set. Uh, It was also a million degrees out in the desert where they were filming. So authentic, you know, cowboy costumes are 100% wool. So these people are going to (laughs) sweat hard. Um, So that was just one of many production hassles that Jar had to deal with. Eventually they started shooting and things kind of came to a point where Jar was behind on the shooting script And there were a lot of delays because he was a very novice filmmaker. And so the studio became pretty unhappy with him and eventually had to fire him. So now they had to find a new director. And they were looking around and Kurt Russell being the lead of this movie um, had just worked on a movie, Tango and Cash with Sylvester Stallone. And he kind of reached out to him. I was like, do you know any good action directors that we can get in here for this? And Sly Stone was basically like, yeah, there's this guy, uh, George P. Cosmatos, who I worked on Rambo 2 with. Um, Why don't I put you guys in touch? So they brought Cosmatos in and they started filming. But when I mentioned the asterisk earlier, Cosmatos was basically brought in to just kind of be a director, not the director. Kurt Russell, and this would famously come out later, basically ended up directing this film. 
he would devise the shot list and direction in his trailer and then in the morning send it over to Cosmatos. So he was basically a ghost director. To more be a face as a director than an actual director. But Kurt Russell being the awesome dude that he was, was like, I know this, but I'm not going to say it until after Cosmatos passes away because I don't want to tarnish his legacy or anything. So Kurt Russell being an awesome guy. Speaking of Kurt Russell, the cast is insane. It's huge. It's got the aforementioned Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, Bill Paxton, Sam Elliott, Powers Booth, Michael Bean, Dana Delaney, Dana Wheeler-Nicholson, Michael Rooker, Charlton Heston. This movie even has Billy Zane in it. Put a cork in it, Zane! There's a a few more character actors in there that I'll discuss once we start breaking down the scenes. They all do a terrific job, but the standout is, for sure, Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday. I mean, just a scene stealer. Line after line just crushes it, knocks it out of the park. If nothing else, you got to watch the movie for that performance. It is the iconic, definitive interpretation of Doc Holliday. As for how and why he was passed up for any nominations or major accolades is because the movie debuted on Christmas Day, 1993, which most things in the industry at the time were shut down because of the holidays. I'm pretty sure Roger Ebert didn't even review the film till late January, early February, and I think he even mentions in his review that he knew that it came out. He didn't mean not to see it. He just couldn't get around to it because of the holidays. I'm not even sure there was a critic viewing of this movie, uh, which usually would indicate that the movie's trash. (laughs) In this case, it is not. Um, I think it was just the holidays and everybody kind of either forgot to see it or got too busy to see it. Otherwise we might be looking at a more famous movie. Uh, Val Kilmer could be an Academy Award winner, different world. But I think to really hammer home the points I'm making, we should look at some scenes some of the more famous ones. We're going to break them down. Wide Earp, huh? Heard of you. Listen now, Mr. Kansas Law Dog. Law don't go around here. Savvy? I'm retired. Good. <laughs> that's real good. Yes. Yeah, that's real good, Law Dog, because Law just don't go around here. Yeah, I heard you the first time. Winner to the king, $500. <laughs> Shut up, I. <laughs> you must be Doc Holliday. That's the rumor. You retired, too? Not me. I'm in my prime. Yeah, you look it. You must be Ringo. Look, darling. Johnny Ringo. The deadliest pistol ever since Wild Bill, they say. What do you think, darling? Should I hate him? You don't even know him. No, that's true, but... I don't know. There's just something about him. Something around the house. I don't know. 
reminds me of me. No, I'm sure of it. I hate him. <laughs> Some great, great dialogue sparring there between Val Kilmer's Doc Holliday and Michael Bean's Johnny Ringo. Val Kilmer is just so sharp, so sharp with his comebacks and his quips that it's just the standout performance of the film. I mean, the baddies walk into the saloon trying to intimidate the good guys and Doc Holliday, Kilmer's Doc Holliday just stands there, stands his ground. And it's awesome. Surely you've had those times in life where you were like, man, I wish I had a good comeback for that. And then like hours later or whenever later, you're standing there and they're like, oh, I should have said that. That's basically how Doc Holliday is and acts. He always has a comeback for whatever you're going to say. And it's genius. And so is the performance. But also not to be overlooked is Michael Bean's Johnny Ringo. I think Michael Bean as an actor will kind of go down in the category, in my opinion, of the greatest that never was. Because he had an awesome run pretty much up until this movie. He worked with James Cameron a lot. He worked with him in the original Terminator uh, aliens, the abyss. So his stock was rising, but I, I don't know if it was his agent's fault or there's some rumors out there that it was difficult to work with. I don't know, but he just couldn't get over that hump and he had all the talent in the world, but turned in a great performance series, Johnny Ringo. And it's just, they're like the antithesis of each other. I think that's why that scene works so much is because it's like looking in a mirror. You have an antagonist and a protagonist, the protagonist really being kind of an anti-hero he's just if you don't know much about doc holiday he got tuberculosis before it could be cured so he, he was just gonna die anyway and he was kind of just gallivanting his life away at that point he was a trained dentist practicing dentist and then when he found out he had tb he was like screw it i'm just gonna live life the way i want to because i'm gonna die anyway and none of it matters so he turned gunfighter gambler and his Rival was Johnny Ringo, according to this film. And we're going to hear another Doc Holliday quip. This one actually historically factual. And it took place at the shootout at the OK Corral. We're here to disarm you. Throw up your hands. You now, you son of a bitch. You're Daisy if you do. You're a Daisy if you do. 
Doc Holliday actually said that to a guy pointing a gun at him. One of the things I love about this scene is the choreography of it. I think the way they shot it, kind of starting out, you just, it's just very tight shots of their eyes. And you can kind of sum up their fear of what's about to happen. The thing about the Earp family and brothers is that they all left kind of their respective law enforcements to start anew. They went out to Tombstone to join the silver boom and kind of try to make it rich in this town. So a lot of them retired from law enforcement to go do this. They were starting over. They were leaving that life of violence behind. And what happens? They move to this town and kind of get swept up in it. And it kind of comes to a head. And this is the culmination of that, the the shootout at the OK Corral. Some of the Earps uh, sustain some injuries during the shootout, but they kill all the cowboys there. Ike Clanton happens to get away. But in turn, what happens is the cowboys then protest the shooting, basically calling it murder, claiming that the Earps basically just stepped up to execute these guys. Even though they were cowboys who had been killing people and were criminal to begin with and this more or less starts a war between the cowboys and the Earp family which would lead to assassinations of Morgan Earp and a failed assassination attempt on Virgil Earp he ends up losing the use of one of his arms now I never said this movie was historically accurate um the movie does a good job in conveying this in almost an expedited fashion. Like these events kind of just play out overnight, more or less, or over the course of what seems to be like a couple of weeks, when in reality, <laughs> it happened over like a year's time. There were also more Earp brothers than there were portrayed in the film. I believe two or three more. Um, I think that's the only benefit of watching the Kevin Costner version white herb is it's a little bit more historically grounded but come on i mean you want this fantastical world of the great west cowboy expansion and good guys versus bad guys you don't want a drawn out boring character study in my opinion i mean what would you rather watch and that leads us to what's known as the white herb revenge tour <laughs> or the revenge ride i think it's more frequently called and this gets kicked off with an all-time motivator look at him mike because that's how you're gonna end up the cowboys are finished you understand me i see a red sash i kill a man wearing it so run you cur run tell all the other curs the lies coming you tell them i'm coming and hell's coming with me you hear Hell's coming with me! Yeah, so you know some bad guys are going to die. <laughs> um, what would follow that scene are two great action montages that I'm not going to spoil the ending for those of you who haven't seen, but those of you who have, you, you just know how <laughs> just kick-ass this movie is. Um, 
So again, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Definitely worth your time, worth your watch. And I think you'll walk away, you know, picking up on kind of the things I discussed earlier. Uh, Another little fun fact, personal story. My brother's high school football team were trying to punch their ticket to the, trying to get to the state finals. Uh, And they were down at halftime. And the coach gave this huge, like, inspirational halftime speech to rally the troops, you know, rally the players. And he ended it with, you know, you tell them I'm coming and hell's coming with me. And then they came out and, you know, kicked ass the second half, made the state finals, won the championship, got themselves a ring. All thanks to Tombstone. And now we get to the segment that I like the most, which is, you know who's in that film? So for starters, real early on, we have an overweight Billy Bob Thornton that's kind of getting slapped around by Kurt Russell's Wyatt Earp. Then you got Michael Rooker, who you guys know who this is. You just don't know his name. He's in a ton of stuff. Uh, Walking Dead, Guardians of the Galaxy. His IMDb profile is about a mile long. But he plays McMasters. Frank Stallone during the Doc Holliday introduction scene, is playing cards. Sylvester Stallone's brother, also in the Hollywood game. At Thomas Hayden Church, plays Billy Clanton. He meets his demise by Doc Holliday, but he has some pretty good one-liners. Um, Josh Corbin, Mr. My Big Fat Greek Wedding himself, is in this movie, early appearance in his career. And Robert Meacham does the opening narration. He's a old Hollywood icon. Man who shot Liberty Valance. He's incredible in that. His voice is iconic and his eyes just pierce through you. So that's going to wrap up Tombstone, guys. High recommend if you haven't seen. I hope maybe this sparks your interest into checking it out. I think if you watch it, you're going to have a great time. So that's my recommendation to you. And if you want to come full circle with the Costner Wyatt Earp and the Russell Wyatt Earp, 3,000 Miles to Graceland, a very down-the-line action flick that came out in 2001, where they both dress up as Elvis to rob a casino. Enough said. Thanks again, you guys, for listening. We'll have a lot more coming your way deep cuts, movies you haven't heard of, or maybe you have and just never got around to, or maybe movies that you saw when you were younger and need to revisit now that you're older. Thanks again. We'll catch you on the next episode of Flicks with Critch. I want you to know it's over. Well, bye.